0: My wife and I were here yesterday, we were fighting in the lobby just to see how many of you would stop, and, and you guys did well, man. Congrats on that. Thanks for uh, stopping and helping us. Some of you uh, got us back on track. We're good. And so it's great to be with you guys. Love what God is doing uh, through this conference. I've heard great things. JP, Jonathan Picluda, uh spend all of my time with, uh, almost most of my time with 20 and 30 somethings. And so I'll start today by, uh, did you guys, you guys remember Lance, Pastor Lance, some of you would call him Lance Cisco. he shared with you. So Lance makes these swings. They're rope swings. And uh, they, they, you know, they hang, suspend from a, a rope and a tree. He sells them on Etsy, okay? So this is my marketing pitch for Lance. He's a starving pastor. Go, go on Etsy, buy his rope swing. But it's this wooden disc. And uh, we, just bought, uh, we just bought a new house, just moved in, and it has a big oak tree in front. And so we hang this rope swing, and I'm like, he gives it to us as a housewarming gift. Like, hey, here's a, a swing. I'm like, I'm, we're, I'm like excited about it, you know? It's a wooden disc, that's what it looks like. We go to Home Depot, buy the rope, hang it up in the tree. And I mean, oh my, the kids like spend hours out there. I mean, I can't get them inside, they're just, I've got three kids, Presley, Finley, and and little man Weston. Here's a picture of the swing. There they are playing catch with their brother, I promise you, he's having a good time. and so they'll just go out there and they'll play with that rope swing all the time. And what you can't see, what I'm standing on right there is a retaining wall and they'll kind of swing around over that retaining wall to which I try to keep telling them, hey, be careful. You know, the swing might break. Daddy hung it and I wasn't a Boy Scout and so just be careful. And... Um, And Lance built it, and so we just don't know, right? And so um, just be careful. And they they won't listen to me. I mean, like my little girl, my eight-year-old, she's running. She's jumping up in the air, throwing her her legs around it, swinging. I'm like, Presley, just just be careful. Don't swing over the retaining wall. And, And they just had such a big time with this rope swing. And one thing changed that. Daddy goes out there, and I grab the rope and I run, and I jump up in the air, and I hit that, that swing, and it just, poof, just fall, and I'm like, I'm okay. I'm, they're all like, I kind of wake up, they're standing around me, I'm like, oh, I think I'm okay. And, and like Presley, my, my little girls, and, and Weston standing over me, jaw on the floor, you know, are you, everything okay, I'm like, I think so, I think so, I'm, I think I'm all right. And then after that, I, I went the next day, I tied the swing back in the tree, and they didn't want anything to do with it. And I'm like, no, 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 I tied it different this time. And they're like, oh, that's cool. okay, thanks, Daddy. I'm like, go swing. No, I don't think so. I'm like, no, it's still, remember how fun it was, you swing, remember little brother, you playing catch, back and forth, like no. They didn't want anything to do with the swing. Why, here's why. Because that which was unbreakable in their mind now was breakable. That reality of this permanence and this thing that's going to last and this thing that's going to stay there and nothing's going to change it, they, they were, had so much confidence in it. Their worldview of that thing had changed and now they knew that it could be broken and now that it could be broken, they don't trust it. They didn't trust it. I, I, couldn't, un, I couldn't help them unlearn that. There was nothing that I could say, that no, no, remember that thing that you thought was good, it is good. It's safe. There's life there. Like, no, no, it's breakable. Daddy, you you showed me it was breakable. And I'm supposed to tell you what millennials, is anyone born between 1980 and 2000, most of the marriages in your church, what millennials need to know about marriage. A lot is being discussed right now, about redefining Marriage. And that's not even a knock or a comment on homosexuality. Marriage has already been redefined as something not permanent, something breakable. And we can't cause them to unlearn that because we taught them that. We, our, Our generate boomers and Xers, you taught them it was breakable. We showed them that. That was never God's plan. That was never God's design for marriage. And so let's talk about for the next few minutes what... Millennials need to know about marriage. That which was defined for them by God as permanent, that which we thought was financially advantageous and safe and the best option of some options now is breakable, costly, risky, and a poor choice among many options in their mind. How do we redefine that? Back to what God says it's supposed to be. Three points over the next few minutes is marriage is good, marriage is hard and how a godly marriage starts. This is what millennials need to know, that marriage is good, marriage is hard, and how a godly marriage starts. So number one, marriage is good. The US adult marriage rate is at an all-time low of 51% compared with 72% in 1960 comes from Pew Social Trends. Today, just 20% of adults ages 18 to 29 are married compared with 59% in 1960. Only one in five young adults are married compared to three in five one generation ago. That comes from millennials by Mark Rainier. And, and so there's this idea that they're saying, hey, you're telling me it's good, I don't want anything to do with it because I've seen other Otherwise, if it was good, mom and dad's marriage would have lasted. And so what's, what they're thinking about, listen to this, marriage is no longer the cornerstone of life. To, to Gen Y and millennials, it's become the capstone of life. Here's what I mean by that. Back in the day, marriage was this thing, this covenant that you'd come into, and then you would begin life. Right? Then you would, okay, okay, now because we're together, we're gonna make this work and be financially secure and we're gonna start a family and provide for them because you and I, we're a team and we're working together. And now they think, hey, I've got to go start my life. I've got to go save a bunch of money. I've got to get a college education, okay? And I've got to go sow all my wild oats, get all that out of my out of my system. And once I'm done with all the variety out there, then I'll go for the capstone of life, which is marriage. No longer the cornerstone, but in millennials, it's the capstone and this is a pagan view which has crept into the church some of you may have taught that some of you may have believed that don't get married young but make sure you live your life first God says he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord God says marriage is good and so why don't they think marriage is good as I've said they've seen so many fail but they also think that marriage is unnecessary Because they think they have reaped the primary benefits of marriage outside of marriage. I said, We got to be married to have sex. No, I don't. Well, you should be married to start a family. Why? Start a family right now. I don't need marriage. Some of that's the worldview that we grew up in. And so we need to be able to answer that question. The church has just been, Well, because I said so. That's the least motivating statement in the history of the world. The second one is, Because God said so particularly to someone who doesn't trust him and doesn't trust you and doesn't trust the church. And so why is marriage a bad idea? I heard one pastor say it like this, between one and 10 on an erotic scale, sex outside of marriage is an 11. And it's like, well wait a minute, you just said sex is more pleasurable outside of marriage. I say, well, yeah, you're right, I did, Whoa. But if I'm after pleasure, then why wouldn't that be a good thing? It's like, well, it's not about pleasure. If you're after pleasure, you should do heroin. I hear it's pretty amazing. It's never been about pleasure. Whenever you're considering pleasure, you've got to consider the cost. When, when pleasure is the ultimate goal in this world, especially temporary pleasure, you need to consider what you're after. Here's how C.S. Lewis says it He says, anytime that you've climbed over the fence to steal the fruit, it tastes less good when you go through the gate. It's at least less pleasurable when you enter through the gate. So do you know why sex before marriage is a really bad idea? This is what you can tell millennials. This is what they need to know. It's because it has long-term consequences that go past STDs and illegitimate children and all of the things that they think that they're protecting from the consequences. It trains them towards a variety that, that marriage, monogamous marriage, can't sustain. And that's why, it has, that's why infidelity in the church and in, even among Christians is rampant because they've trained for it by the way they've dated, you've gotta tell them this stuff. Not just that sex before marriage is a a bad idea, but why it's a bad idea. Those who have been promiscuous will need to work harder in marriage than those who haven't. They never considered that. They don't understand the consequences. It never pays to pursue pleasure outside of its purpose. Let me say that again. It never pays to pursue pleasure outside of its purpose. But the problem with these statements is they don't trust us. why don't they trust us? In authenticity in the church. I grew up in a small town, there's a Baptist church there. My friend's parents, they were like the picture of the perfect marriage. Every time I saw them, they were laughing and giggling and everything was great. And even their daughter thought everything was great and one day they were divorced. And even as, as an eighth grader, I knew that that divorce represented lots of miserable nights, lots of fighting that they had hid from the entire world. They never raised their hand and said, I'm struggling, we need help because the church had told them they couldn't. They had to have their act together. If this is your church, I pray it shuts down or you change it. I pray the doors lock or you change it. We have to be authentic in the church. We have to reach out. We have to help. What does this look like for you? You need to go up there and fight publicly. You need to say, man, my wife and I got an argument last night Let me tell you about it. Let me show you our dirty laundry, because the worst thing that you could think is that we all have it together. We don't have it together. We're two sinners that came together that agreed, two selfish people that agreed to be unselfish to each other for the rest of the rest. But there's no point in me trying to figure, like, we have it all figured out. We don't have it all figured out. We're sinners who need a Savior. That's the beautiful thing about Jesus and his Holy Spirit at work in our lives. So why is marriage good? There's been a great debate, you guys have talked about it, does marriage make us holy or does it make us happy? The answer is yes. Number one, marriage is a metaphor of God's love for us. It makes us holy, it sanctifies us. It shows us his commitment to us, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, 1 Peter 3, that God would continue to pursue us as we're imperfect. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Marriage is this metaphor, it goes beyond just your pleasure in the relationship, just the way that you feel, just your happiness. It is indeed about your holiness, but also, number two, marriage generally also aids in happiness. About 43% of married people say they are very happy. That's compared to 24% of unmarried people. That comes from Pew Research. 84% of married people said they were very satisfied. Marriage is, and then the next, so marriage generally also aids in happiness. Also, number three, marriage is by far the best place to raise children by far the best place to raise children. Statistics support this. Uh, This comes from a government website. Children raised outside of marriage, even by a cohabitating couple, are much more likely to be physically abused, sexually abused, and emotionally abused. And that was one of number of benefits of children who were raised in marriage. It's by far the best place to raise children. And if you're here, you're a single parent, there's still hope for you. Listen, the church will come around you. The church can heal that. God can work. God's bigger than that, but statistically, Still by far the best place. There's benefits to this thing called marriage that God gave us. Marriage is by far the best place to have sex. Now you said, well, wait a minute. You said it was more pleasurable outside. Some of you hadn't heard anything else I said except that. Let me go back to that for a minute. Listen, what's the most pleasurable sex? I imagine sex with your neighbor's wife or sex with three women or sex on ecstasy. I hear that's pretty awesome. It's never been about like the fleeting pleasure, right? Whenever you're considering pleasure, you must consider the cost. Those things are really, really costly. And so when you say things like when you're, when you're like, oh, well, you know, sin's not fun. Oh, man, listen, I'm a sinner. It was fun. It was fun. It just was costly. I still suffer the consequences of it today. Ten years in a monogamous marriage, I still suffer the consequences of, from the Rolodex of pornography, the Rolodex of sex, the Rolodex of strip clubs that's in this head. You gotta tell them that. Even if you didn't experience it, you need to know what it is and how to explain that to them. They need to see that, they need to understand that. It never pays to pursue pleasure outside of its purpose. Second big point is marriage is hard. Marriage is difficult. Let me, can I get an amen? Marriage is hard? Okay, for three of you it's hard, that's cool. That's good, let's try that authenticity thing again. Is marriage hard? Yes, it's difficult. It's really hard. And so why do millennials need to hear this? My wife and I do lots of premarital counseling. Her name's Monica. Second best thing that ever happened to me, next to Jesus. And so we uh, meet with couples all the time, and they take this test called the prepare, and, and we look at the results, and every single one of them to a fault, uh, have rose colored glasses. Their expectations around marriage are whack, which I get it because I totally expected like we get married. She was going to come to bed in a Teddy every night with a, you know, whipped cream and chocolate sauce. And <laughs> turns out that's every, only every other night. And so, um, yeah, whack expectations, right? And so how do we align these expectations? Because they're saying, Hey, if something is difficult, then how can it be good? If something is hard, how can it be good? And this question is the problem with millennials. If something is difficult it must not be good unless it benefits me personally really quickly. Like this, for example, working out is difficult but it must be good because it makes me sexier and being sexier allows me to go on more dates, going on more dates allows me to have more sex. So therefore working out is good. But marriage is difficult and it must not be good because all it does is make me godly. And who cares if I'm godly? And you say, well, do they really think that? Well, Reading the Bible is good, but what do you, ben- you benefit, you gain wisdom from God, it makes you godly, but yeah, but is that even really important? Working out's more important, right? And so if something is hard, how can it be good? Marriage is both difficult and good. And they don't want to commit to something difficult for long term. Let me show you from statistics. Millennials don't wanna commit to something difficult long-term. 43% of millennials said they would vote for marriage to be performed on a temporary two-year trial period. 33% 33 voted for marriage licenses to be administered on a five, seven, or 30-year basis, allowing for each contract to be renegotiated at its end. This came from 2014 Time Magazine. 21% voted for a presidential approach, like the election, marriage license be administered on a four or eight-year basis, Then after eight years, you can elect a new partner. What's going on with these millennials? They got lots of options and they wanna keep their options open. You know why else my little little girls, Presley and Finley, why they didn't like that rope swing? Because something happened right about the same week that it broke on me. We got a new swing set. And that swing set, it had all sorts of fun. It had the basic vintage swing, it had the seesaw swing, and they had this stand up swing and a fort and a slide. And now they had options, and they were no longer interested. I think got a, there it is. Yeah, there's a, a picture. So that goes up in our backyard, and then all of a sudden, that rope swing in the front yard is not as attractive. What's wrong with millennials? They're swingers. <laughs> they want to keep their options open, they're constantly looking for something better. They're looking for the one. Maybe they believed you that marriage is hard and so they better find the one that's gonna make it easy. And they continue to look for that one, like the Oompa Loompa and the Tooth Fairy. They're just out there searching for their, nearly every millennial out there needs to hear one of two things. So this is where it gets really practical. I'm just gonna give you two statements that you can say to them. Every, nearly every single millennial needs to hear this. You ready? The one that comes up and he says, you know what, I, I'm not interested in marriage because it's hard. You know what you say to them? You lean in, you look them in the eyes, you say, Marriage is hard, but it's really, really, really good. And then you tell them why. And then some other millennials, the other half of that that population, they're going to come up to you and they're going to say, Marriage, it sounds amazing. You get to have sex all the time. It's a romp session. You know, it's going to be incredible chocolate sauce, whipped cream. You know, marriage sounds really, really good. And you look them in the eyes and you say, You lean forward and you say, Marriage is good, but it's really, really, really hard. Every millennial that you come in contact with needs to hear one of those two things you just need to discern. Do they have the rose-colored glasses? Okay, marriage is good, but it's really, really, really hard. Or are they skeptical, untrusting of this institution that God gifted us? Marriage is hard, but it's really, really, really good. And number three, my third big point is, a godly marriage starts with a godly person. They need to know this. There are no marriage problems that aren't just people problems. Every marriage problem I've encountered was a single-person problem that was brought into marriage. No one became selfish in marriage. They were already selfish, and they brought their selfishness into marriage. No one became prideful in marriage. They were prideful, they got married, and their prideful, their pride killed their marriage. That's what's going on here, right? And so the best thing that you can do to prepare millennials, or anyone for that matter, for marriage is to give them a biblical worldview for living. Said otherwise, let me break that down for you, discipleship. You make disciples. You teach them and train them to follow Jesus. If your church is not doing discipleship, then you are not preparing anyone for marriage well. If your church is not doing discipleship well, I promise you, you are not preparing anyone for marriage well. This is why uh, you know, I love and believe that God is working through a, a group here called Merge. But whatever your premarital program is, and I'm so glad that you're here and I'm so glad that you're learning, because we have to make this about discipling the person. Because all millennials are busy looking for the one. And instead, they need to realize that they need to become the one that someone else is looking for, right? And so I spend a lot of my time just teaching them that there's not the one. Their minds are blown. You want to tell something else to tell them, you can tell them, hey, there's not the one. People argue with me, go Romans nine, or God's sovereignty, or, you know, I say. Listen, man, let me just break this down for you. Do you think that out of all of the entire world, that I was the best person for Monica, that I was the one for her. There are absolutely guys that would've been better for her. Listen, I'm six foot seven, she's five foot three. I like guns and motorcycles, she hates those things. There are people who would've been better for her. She's the one because we went to the altar together and made a covenant before God together, now she's the one. Before that, she could've chosen a lot of ones. There's not just one, this is something I tell them, but you know what I do tell them, and this helps, because the whole swinger thing, because the, all of the options, you ready? But I say, there's not a lot, there's just a few. And you see that? It's not just one, but it's not like you gotta go through the entire world either. It's a small pool, it's those who are fully devoted to Jesus. This is a small pool, relatively speaking, in the world, right? Second Corinthians 6, 14, do not be unequally yoked. So you're trying to find someone who loves God more than you. This really narrows it down for you this helps them it removes options for them it also calibrates what they're looking for not just you know hot or style or whatever it's, it goes to the heart it goes to are they already well married to jesus this helps them and so what is the what are the pitfalls of becoming the one someone else is looking for i think man for these millennials eating from the buffet of digital dating, Tinder and Grindr. I mean, they literally, if you don't know, I mean, they can go on their iPhone and order up any kind of date they want at any time. They can find out who they're interested in in the very location that they're at based on GPS tracking through an app, okay? This is the new world. I I predict that 90% of marriages in 10 years from now will have started digitally. Um, That's just my prediction, so somebody write a book about it. Uh, cohabitating, 70% of cohabitating couples divorce within the first 15 years. That comes from cdc.gov. Check this out. When you add those that don't actually, when you add to that statistic those that don't actually get married, the failure rate of cohabitation is, is as high as 98%. That means the success rate of cohabitation is about two out of every hundred couples actually get married. That's a really good idea. I mean, that's, that shows, gives a lot of credibility to what God says in His Word. And so, uh, another a uh, pitfall to becoming the one is just sex, right? It's a, or physical intimacy. It's a sticky trap that keeps someone in the wrong relationship way too long. And so what makes someone bad at marriage? Unrepentant sin. It's that simple, right? Unrepentant sin. So do you see why discipleship is so important? Listen, 10 years ago, I, um, I made one of the greatest decisions of my entire life. Got married, beautiful woman. I remember standing up there at the altar, the door swung open, oh man. She walked down the aisle, we stood up there, we were both believers, brand new Christians, brand new Christians. But we loved God, it was, it was a new love, but we loved him. And we had dated poorly for three years, and then we kinda got our act together as the spirit came into our life. and We said some crazy promises to each other so you may say I do, kiss your bride, we did that deal. We walked down the aisle of Truett Seminary there on Baylor campus in Waco and we stand, we stood in the foyer and I held her in my arms and and I said this prayer over us. I said, Lord, thank you for allowing me to escape the consequences of my sin. Now specifically, when I said that, I was talking about my sexual sin, specifically my addiction to pornography and my sexual addiction uh, that, that I had had for years before that. And, and so I said that thing, thank you for allowing me to escape the consequences of my sin, which to me was like an STD, an illegitimate child, or some psycho ex-girlfriend that wanted to kill us outside or something. And, and he had spared us of that. And so I was praising him and, and we go into marriage and, we, and year one, you know, it's, it's the honeymoon. We just, uh, lo, lots of fun and, and you know, just going and doing whatever we wanted to do. And then year two came along and the wheels fell off. I had no idea how to love this woman. I had trained myself for variety for years, for over a decade. And now I'm in this committed relationship. I had no no idea how to lead someone. I, I had serial dated, whenever it got hard I jumped out. And so now I'm stuck in this marriage and like we were fighting and it was crazy and we both wanted divorces. And literally I'm driving around and I'm thinking about how I'm gonna file and the words of someone that had met with us in premarital counseling came to mind. Now someone, let me just tell you this, some words that I had completely blown off, completely written off, this person probably felt so disrespected by me at the time because here's what they said. They said, stop pursuing each other and start pursuing the Lord together. And they drew this cheesy triangle going to a cross and they showed us how if we pursue God, we'll keep getting closer. And I was just like, oh, that's cute, pastor man. Thanks for that. And I'm driving around wanting to file for divorce and those words come to my mind and they saved my marriage. Now, he had no idea. He felt like he, he probably was completely did nothing, right? But it saved my marriage. And so you stay in the fight. Let me tell you something. There's a war on marriage going on out there. And all wars are over territory. And this war is over the territory of the hearts of millennials as they define Marriage. And it is up to you guys to take it back as God has intended it to be. That's how we're gonna win this war. That's why you need to stay in this fight. You tell these millennials what they need to hear. You tell them what God has said, you make disciples. All right, thank you guys, It's been a joy to be with you.